fight until the death comes, because it is the only fight where you know that you'll ultimately lose, but you can't stop fighting, because it'd mean ascertaining death only a bit sooner. Anonymous. Episode 8 of the Dr. Cliff Podcast. Do not go gentle into that good night. All right, everyone, thanks for joining me in this improv night for episode eight of the Dr. Cliff podcast. Improv because we had a pretty uh, extreme circumstance. We had a a patient have cardiac arrest during surgery today. Uh, This is a little patient that some of you guys may know of or may remember. It's a little orange cat named Tiny. Now, Tiny was a uh, sort of the feature character in one of the Dr. Cliff YouTube episodes. Um, And it's the one where it kind of talks about, will this kitten ever walk again? Um, Well, Tiny Tiny fought against death today uh, with a little bit of help from myself and Arthur and Min uh, and Linda and the whole team at, at Wellington. And so I decided to come home tonight. Uh, Tiny is with me. He's uh, resting comfortably in a little uh, sort of a a dog cage, uh, just relaxing with an IV line in, and he is okay. Uh, Though the fight is not over, that is for sure. But he has proven time and time again that this, uh, this little kitten, that boy, he's got some fight in him. He is a fighter for sure. So... I'm going to go back about three months uh, and tell you a little bit about Tiny. And again, you can watch the episode on uh, youtube.com slash drcliff. It's the one where the thumbnail has the the cute little orange kitten with the giant eyes um, staring back at you. Um, Little Tiny was brought to me by one of the many rescues that I work with, uh, animal rescues. And he was basically found on the side of the road. And the Good Samaritan who picked him up had sort of realized that there was a feral mama cat in the area. And she had a couple other kittens that they rescued that were quite healthy. But Tiny was much smaller uh, and he seemed like he had a broken back. So uh, he was brought to us. They were concerned. Obviously, they were contemplating euthanasia. But Tiny said, screw that, Uh, I'm fine, I'm just disabled, and I'm just physically challenged. Upon physical exam, blood work, x-rays, and some time spent with Tiny, we realized that uh, that was all that it was, is he was physically challenged, um, and possibly sensory as well. We're pretty sure his eyesight's not great, Uh, his hearing, although functional, is very poor, but his sense of smell makes up for it. He, uh, he, he goes waddling over and, and sort of quote unquote running. And I'll explain that in a minute, running over to the food dish whenever he smells it. Um, Tiny's got, uh, uh, you know, some, some cranial, some cerebral, some brain, uh, developmental problems in the sense of his, his head is misshapen. Um, you know, there's an imbalance between his, uh, his lobes in his brain, um, neurologically on his, his sort of facial nerves and his balance nerves are gone. Um, he has a kind of a swimmer's kitten, um, chest, which is a chest that doesn't, the rib cage doesn't develop properly in the sense of it's kind of too pointy and it doesn't allow his lungs to expand fully. Um, 
which actually I think has caused his heart to be further down in his chest cavity than I'm used to, uh, which again, we'll, we'll get to later on when I talk about cardiac arrest and CPR and emergency measures we took for him. So, and then his back legs are uh, a little too long. They don't flex at the ankle at all. They're kind of, they have like angular limb deformities where the, the feet point out in, in, in abnormal angles. Um, and he can't really use them. He tries to move them. So he has what's called purposeful movement. And if you pinch his toes, he, he, kind of gets mad he responds to it and if you tickle them he uh he responds to that as well um he's got good tail tone but he does not have a lot of reflex in his rectal muscle what's called a perineal reflex um which uh, led us to realize and warn the foster family that he's going to have urinary incontinence issues so he does have urinary incontinence issues he he pees basically wherever he is um after a point his bladder gets full enough that it sort of the pressure in the bladder overrides any sort of muscle strength within the bladder and around that sphincter muscle and he starts to urinate. Um, so he's susceptible to bladder infections and, and urine scalding. Um, but we were able to at least confirm that his back's not broken and whatever's going on does not seem uh, sort of exceptionally painful. Uh, we did put him on pain medication. I talked to some specialists. Uh, check out the, the YouTube video again. I talked to some specialists about getting him on some, a special antibiotic just in case this was due to a, uh, like a bacterial meningitis. So infection of the, um, central uh, nervous system and the, the tissue around the nerves called the meninges. So meningitis, um, but we are given a, a, a guarded at best prognosis, meaning be prepared that this wasn't going to work. Um, but he went home with the foster family and they started sending me videos of this little guy, um, like basically running with his front, like he would drag his back legs and his, his feet would kind of waddle, um, his back feet would kind of waddle side to side, uh, almost like a tail, uh, would on a, like a crocodile and he would pull with his front, with his front feet. And he was, you know, let's call it running. He was doing his tiny little run outside. He was playing on the carpet. He was chasing the little string. He was waiting for the ball to come bouncing to him and he'd try and grab it and he was eating really well. So he was happy. And while he, yes, there are points where he was in pain and yes, there were times where he, his quality of life is, was not and is not, and certainly will never be as good as in a, in a sort of a generalization statement, as good as other kittens and cats, um, the pain that he was dealing with, he was coping with. And this was a very important sort of thing to bring up to this foster family because they wanted the best for him and they didn't want him suffering. And it's a conversation I've had with many, many clients over the years about the difference between being in pain and suffering, playfulness, uh, wanting to cuddle or spend time with family members and appetite. Those are all big things that I use to determine if an animal is coping with the pain or not, meaning they're not suffering, they're just in pain. And I can say just in pain because I'm in pain. You know, I've got a bad hip, I've had knee surgery. Uh, like any 
weekend warrior 47 year old uh you know i wake up every morning and i'm in pain and occasionally i gotta pop some advil and i'm going for a cortisone injection soon into my hip uh i get one you know every six to nine months but i'm absolutely not suffering my quality of life is very good i'm super happy so these are things that need to be considered and you know so tiny dodged a couple of bullets right he used up a couple of his nine lives in getting to our clinic and avoiding being euthanized and and he was rolling the dice all the time and fighting and proving to us constantly well lo and behold he ended up fighting um you know fighting those nine lives uh and and spending a couple more maybe about six weeks ago he's about seven months old now seven or eight months old and he was brought to me or he was reached out to me by the foster family who had now decided to be his forever home. They, they were now his family. Um, they, they had fallen in love with him, taking care of him. They had recognized his spirit, his strength and his joy. And he brought them a lot of joy. And they, frankly, I don't think they trusted anyone else with taking care of him, which is understandable. They did a great job uh, and they continue to take care of him really, really well. They, they, they clean his back end and sort of bathe his back end regularly so he doesn't get rashes from peeing on himself. Um, they have a special box made for him that's, uh, you know, tall enough that he can't pull himself out of but also, uh, you know, not so tall that he feels alone uh, and he's nice and warm and he's happy to see them. And he, and again, he eats in the morning and plays and, and cuddles with them when they watch TV. Um, well, they brought him to their regular veterinarian. They're, they're a bit of a distance away. They, they brought him to their regular veterinarian. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was for vaccines. And the veterinarian, uh, I guess, didn't agree with us and felt that it was cruel and unusual punishment, essentially, to keep this little guy alive. And so she was um, not only sort of encouraging and wanting to have the conversation about euthanasia, but she was so set in her um, in her opinion, which is okay. Uh, you know, like she, she wanted what she thought was best for the cat for little tiny, but she was ready to call animal services, like an animal welfare sort of, um, service, um, to make sure this, this kitten was, uh, dealt with. So the family had reached out to me again, concerned that they're going to have to put their, their cat to sleep. And, you know, I kind of explained, look, I haven't seen tiny in a couple of months, but, if what you're telling me is true about his appetite and about his playing and about his purring and that he's putting on weight and he's growing up big and strong, um, that while he may be in pain and he may have some serious physical challenges that he's dealing with and will always deal with, um, he's not suffering and it is not cruel to keep him around. So I asked them to bring Tiny in and we took another look at him confirmed all those things. They sent me videos of him playing and I could see it when he came to the clinic. Uh, it was adorable. Uh, my dog Thalia was there that day and, and anytime Tiny would mew, uh, Thalia would start crying and would run over and she's kind of taken, taken her under her wing as her little uh, baby sister or baby brother, pardon me, Tiny's a boy, uh, his little baby brother, her little baby brother. You know, I was able to confirm in my opinion that tiny is uh, doing fine and um wants to live so again he rolled the dice he had another challenge he 
probably used up another one of his lives, but uh, he continued to uh, to live. And I sent the records over to the veterinarian, and I explained to this family that you know not to be upset with her. She uh, her job is to be an advocate for Tiny, and it's okay that she disagrees with us. And this was the first time she saw Tiny. And frankly speaking, it, it's it it can be hard to see him because he he has some clear physical uh, disabilities and challenges that he has to deal with. Um, and yes, there are some issues regarding him being in pain. Um, but so she made the right, you know, for herself and, and for what she thought was best for Tiny, she made the right decision. She kind of accepted my expertise, I guess, or my involvement in Tiny's case and uh, kind of dropped the the issue. And she still sees them for their other animals and they've just chosen to keep Tiny coming to see me. So today was the day for Tiny to be neutered, giving him a few extra months to put on some strength, but we knew it was important to, uh, to do this. You know, we were a little worried. Uh, we had to, we do some different anesthetic protocols for the rescue cats as we do for regular cats. Um, and though, you know, his heart was strong, his breathing was strong, um, and in theory, the neurological system shouldn't affect, and the muscle skeletal system shouldn't affect um, sort of how he handles anesthesia. Well, it didn't go that way. And, uh, you know, it's about a six-minute procedure, and three or four of those minutes are involved in in sort of plucking the fur from the scrotum and putting in a nerve block and cleaning the area. Um, so most of it is sort of anesthetic and surgical prep time. The neuters are actually, the neuter of the two testicles actually very, very quickly, very, very quick. Well, between the first testicle and the second testicle, you know, his breathing changed and um, things just Things just looked different, and the technician was listening, and the heart was still beating. It wasn't as strong as before, but we had adjusted the anesthetic, and so it was reasonable that it would change. And then, basically, there are various ways I was able to detect this that I won't get into. It's kind of hard to explain, but I quickly noticed or quickly realized, shoot, I think his heart has stopped beating. Um, this is when I just after I finished the last, the last tie and cut snip. And so, lo and behold, you know, boom, we can't find a heartbeat. He's not breathing. His color's purple. And it's time to go into uh, fight mode, to fight death, the oncoming death. And, and when, when this happens for me, uh, where I have to deal with a, a crisis like this, whether it's cardiac arrest, which is what he was going through, um, or just some massive trauma or emergency, I become very quiet um, and very like laser focused. And so we had Arthur on one side and, and I quickly said, Arthur, innovate this cat. He threw a tube down the throat so he could give some supplemental oxygen and essentially breathe for tiny. And boom, he did that uh, with Min's help, the other technician. I started grabbing some emergency drugs and he didn't have an IV line in and I couldn't find the heart. Uh, normally you can do an injection right into the heart. So I did, I did it into the chest, um, knowing that with the compressions of the chest and the heart and with the, the sort of aggressive, uh, assisted breathing that Arthur was going to do that this epinephrine, this adrenaline shot was going to get absorbed into the lungs, um, into the bloodstream via the lungs. 
And, you know, we kept doing CPR, boom, 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 just kept compressing, compressing, compressing. Arthur's doing his job. I'm doing mine. Give me more drugs. Gave him more drugs, et cetera, et cetera. I ended up realizing because his chest wasn't built, um, sort of hadn't developed properly, that perhaps his heart was a little bit further down than I anticipated. So actually, instead of counting from the front down, I counted from the sort of the last rib up a little bit and gave another injection. And this time I got a bit of a blood flash. So I knew I was in the heart. So I gave the epinephrine, you know, probably in 30 seconds, the heart started beating and it picked up. It hit like 210 beats a minute, just bam, 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 bam. And it kept going, kept going, kept going. And uh, meanwhile, he's still not breathing. We hook him up to the machines and his purple tongue slowly becoming pink and his oxygen levels improving. Um, And it was kind of funny because, you know, we had been doing this for about 10 minutes and there wasn't a word between the three of us. It was literally just, you do that. Give me that. Okay, you keep doing this. Good job. Don't give up. Let's keep going. Don't stop. All right, let's give another injection. Like it was just... You know, we, I talked about this in my last episode about setting feelings aside. None of us got emotional. None of us, I'm sure we we're feeling it inside, but we weren't allowing it to affect our judgment. We just turned into these sort of laser focused robots almost and just did the job and just kept going and kept going, kept going. Um, but when the time came that he was breathing on his own and he was actually, I gave him a shot in naloxone to reverse some of the narcotic that he'd received. And he, so that actually really hit him really fast and he started sort of coughing and fighting. It really brought him out of the haze. Um, it was just the three of us in the surgery room, but I have this giant bay window that looks into the surgery room and I turned around and the whole team, there was four of them there, uh, were standing there watching, um, obviously very concerned for, for little tiny and it was like this sort of uh, awkward chuckle we all gave, um, uh, the sigh of relief, and and you know a little bit of cracking to our voice, and and uh, we you know we suspected he was going to be okay. Uh, we still don't know. Like there's a possibility that some neurological was da- damage was done from the lack of oxygen to the brain, but we were able to do a really good job with CPR, and he's he's come out of it so quickly that I'm really really happy now. He doesn't look like he came out of it quickly, and partially that's from the leftover drugs. Uh, partially, let's be honest, he died. Um, his heart stopped for a long time, um, and no matter what kind of good job we do with chest compressions and cardiac compressions and 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 assisted breathing, we're not going to be able to do as good of a job. So there's going to be some after effects for that. So he's basically super exhausted. Death tends to tire people out, I think, and uh, and also he's not. He doesn't have normal neurological signs anyway. So it's really, really hard with him to kind of figure things out. He's not a good breather because of the way his chest is built. Um, but we threw in, we got an IV line in sort of well before this and, and got him, got his blood pressure up and whatnot. Um, I called the family and, and the first thing I say to them is, oh, the funny thing is, is they called to see how the surgery was going literally 10 seconds into the CPR. And so I just had to quickly tell the staff member, just tell them we're just starting surgery. We'll call them soon. So, uh, uh, guys, I love you. I'm sorry. I had to lie. I couldn't, you know, couldn't have the team members tell you guys what was going on. It wasn't going to change anything. We just had to focus. But, um, so I called them up and the first thing I said was, cause it was like a 30 minutes later. So I think they realized something was wrong. 
the first thing I said was, I just want to tell you that Tiny is now doing fine. And they said, now? And I said, yes, that's the problem. He unfortunately had cardiac arrest during surgery. And of course, they gasp and they're really upset. And I said, but now he's recovered. And, you know, there's some things we're going to have to keep a close eye on. But uh, he's going to come home with me for the night. Uh, I'm going to keep a close eye on him. You guys go home because they've driven like 45 minutes. They've been staying in the area because no one's allowed in the clinic. Um, and so I think they had they had gone and done some errands and did some shopping and groceries and stuff. So they had actually been waiting out in the parking lot. So I said, you guys need to go home. I'll call you tonight, let you know how things went the next few hours, and then I'm going to take them home. So that was the day. Like it was this, you know, he, he lost another, we've guessed that he's probably used up six already of his nine lives. So I love you tiny, but you can't do this anymore. You're, you've already used up six out of these nine lives in only, you know, maybe eight months. So let's see if we can get you to go at least a year, um, uh, you know, without any major problems, but man, what a fighter. And I'm so proud of my team and how they handled it. And the two technicians, Arthur and Min, especially great job guys. Uh, Linda, who's training to be a technician was incredible. And she grabbed me this and she grabbed me that. And, uh, she did such an amazing job as well. Uh, and then the other team members watching uh, from behind the glass, being nice and quiet, and probably throwing some serious good vibes at this little, this little tiny cat uh, with a uh, the heart the size of a champion. That's for sure. So I wanted to finish this off, uh, this little improv episode eight of the Doctor Cliff podcast, with one of my favorite poems. Uh, and where I got the uh, title of this episode, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night, by Dylan Thomas. Here goes. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rage at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Those wise men at their end no dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning they. Do not go gentle into that good night. Good men... The last wave by, crying how bright. Their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight. And learn too late, they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That is episode eight of the Dr. Cliff podcast, brought to you by Tiny the ultimate fighting cat who refuses to go gentle into that good night. Mm-hmm.